Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Did you ever want to be a writer, a serious writer? Brittany Moore has that ambition, and she wrote, Residency has finished, and I'm leaving Louisville tomorrow, inspired, excited, and eager for the semester ahead. It feels very much like looking out on the ocean with nothing but horizon on all sides. Everything feels possible. I've never had this feeling about my writing before. And it's in this place, this program, and the incredible people who populate it who have helped me get here. That's written by Brittany Moore. She's a fiction writer and tall ship sailor. And that's after completing her first Spalding MFA residency. And that's the subject that we will talk about today. I'm delighted to have as my guest, Kathleen Driscoll, who is chair of the School of Creative and Professional Writing at Spalding University. Uh, Kathleen is the author of uh, Poetry Collections Blue Etiquette Poems, a finalist for the Weatherford Award, Next Door to the Dead, a Kentucky Voices selection by the University Press of Kentucky, and winner of the 2018 Judy Gaines Young Book Award. Seed Across Snow, a Poetry Foundation national bestseller, Laughing Sickness, and Peck and Pock, a graphic novel, a graphic poem. Individual poems have appeared in a number of publications, um, the Southern Review, Shenandoah, North American Review, and, and many more. Uh, she's um, uh, the, the chair, as I mentioned. Uh, she received her MFA in creative writing from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, and she's been a, a longtime friend and a, a wonderful person who now is chair of the program. Kathleen, welcome. Oh, thank you, Bill. It's so great to be with you. It's always great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a really a pleasure and an honor. And um, I want you to tell us about the program, and we'll just give our listeners a hint that uh, we're going to do that, and then we're going to uh, hear from you and some of your poetry and maybe uh, something new that you're going to share with us. So uh, tell us about uh, the program at Spalding. Well, um, this is an exciting year. We're in our 20th year. That's, uh, we're kind of a, a, a grandmother in terms of low residency programs. We came about pretty early on. Um, I think they're much more usual now than they used to be. And um, in the beginning, we were founded by Sina Jeter Naslin, who was my teacher um, when I was at the University of Louisville and uh, as an uh, undergraduate and taught me creative writing, very meaningful teacher to me, and Karen Mann, um, and they came to Spalding and, and pitched this program. There wasn't an MFA program in the entire state, an MFA in writing program. And, you know, they believed it was uh, long, do, long overdue to have a program like that. And so we were founded in 2001. It's pretty interesting. We've been reminiscing now in this year because uh, the first residency happened about a, almost exactly a month after uh, September 11th so long ago and um, pretty precarious times. And I think they wondered if people were going to show up, but they did. Every student showed up, got on a plane, if you remember those times, and 
And right now we um, are in this pandemic and we're having some virtual residencies and very much look forward to um, getting back together. But, um, you know, we weathered a lot of things. We brought together this wonderful community of writers uh, during some hard times because people are makers. Human beings just are meant to make things. And um, the folks that we hang out with want to make literature, um, want to make things with words. And we're just driven to do that no matter um, how difficult the times are to get through. So um, we're now a school. We began with the MFA, which is a terminal degree for writers, which means that um, we're on the PhD equivalency um, to, and it credentials you to teach in uh, post-secondary institutions. But we added an MA in writing to make our degree more accessible for um, students. And we added a professional track because students wanted to have some workplace skills um, to take their writing into nonprofits in the business sector. And we saw a need there. And we also have uh, created some graduate certificates in writing. So that allows another sort of easy entree into our community. It allows people to study when they might not have thought that necessary. So, yeah. And um, the latter part of your uh, explanation there You've only been underway with the, the the school, the professional school, for what now? Two years? Yeah, um, um, we've, something we're like only, that. We're um, we're graduating our first master's students this spring. So, oh. um, so yeah, uh, it, it's a, a pretty new endeavor. We we opened up these degree programs, and then the pandemic hit pretty much. So um, we're looking forward to getting out and uh, spreading the word about the MA programs and creative and professional writing too. So look forward to that day. You said that uh, the MFA program started by uh, Sina and uh, Sina Jeter Naslin and Karen Mann, uh, one of the first uh, in the state. Now there are two or three or four, uh, who's counting, that sort of thing. But but really, they're prolific uh, as far as the nation of the world, maybe the nation is concerned. They're, 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 there's popping up all over the place. And then um, I read, and uh, don't have it right here in front of me, but it was a, um, it was the, was it the New York Times book review maybe that just recently, uh, and I can send this to you, but recently sort of took a, a shot at uh, MFA programs um, that uh, it seemed like that, that every, everybody's going or has plans to go and that, that sort of thing. So uh, the question is this. Um, in the very beginning, 20 years ago, uh, what was it about uh, that you understand uh, Senior was trying to do and why it was important and, and, frankly, why it was so successful and, 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 and well-received? And number two, um, after 10 years or so, um, the MFA program at Spalding was named one of the top 10 programs um, in the nation by, by uh, Poet and Writers uh, magazine. Uh, but now it seems like that that it's uh, sort of in fashion to to criticize and to to take um, aim at uh, MFA programs. So, what what vision did she have that was successful, and and why now is it being criticized? I th- I think it's uh, been a long practice uh, to uh, criticize MFA programs. I think one of the th- one of the main complaints maybe that the publishing world or the literary world at large has, is that it uh, has tended in the past to sort of turn out writers with the same kind of aesthetic. 
um, who write in a one particular way. And you could even argue sometimes that in particular programs, you could pick out who graduated where because of, um, you know, the, the faculty that they studied with. And, and the argument was is that that aesthetic was imposed over poetry or fiction or nonfiction. And, and Sina um, really had the idea the low res program um, is different because you get exposed to a lot of different people. Um, when I went through my graduate program, which is traditional program at Greensboro, and I loved it and made great friends there, but I had three teachers the whole time. And, you know, we just sort of went round and round with those teachers, which could be good, but at Spalding right now, we have over 40 faculty members that sort of cycle in and out. And so you get exposed to lots of different viewpoints and, and, and that uh, fit in with Sina's ideas and my ideas as a leader, too, that you want to have exposure to lots of different ideas and that we do not. We make, you know, we try to treat the students' work um, as, as the, we want the student to improve his or her work, their work, um, in the way that they in their vision, the way that they have a vision. So there's, we're not trying to push and prod and uh, mold it into Cena's book or my book or, you know, someone else's. And this is something we talk about as a faculty and voices kind of emerge. And, and um, so I think that was one of the, the good things, really great things about the program. And, and then the other program, I mean, it was sort of a blood sport and a lot of MFA programs, you know, who, whoever remains, um, the least bloody, I suppose, at the end of workshop was the best writer. And um, we know that that's destructive. And so we wanted to create a kind of program that supported writers, that supported artists, that nurtured them. Um, and again, this kind of goes back to feeding um, their voices. What do they want to accomplish in the end work? It's not, it's not, I'm always saying this in workshop, you know, I want to help you take this piece where you want it to go. Let me help you do that. I don't want to take it where I want to go. And so a lot of that happens through conversation with the writers and this, you know, we not only have residency, we also have the independent study, which is a wonderful one-on-one -on -one long conversation. That's almost a luxury these days to have these long letters go back and forth conversations go back and forth between a writer, uh, the writer student and the, the writer mentor as well. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of attention on the individual. So we want to be very, I mean, this is almost cliche, but we're serious about it. We want to be student centered. I was just talking about it in a meeting today. That's not student centered. We need to be student centered. Um, so uh, it's not really, uh, we adore our faculty, um, but our faculty have hung out with us because they're great teachers in their hearts and they're, they're teachers in their hearts. They're just not somebody who's looking for a harbor, you know, to sort of um, weather out the, the lack of employment for writers or whatever. Well, you've mentioned a couple, of, um, a couple of terms that I want you to explain. If someone was listening to us today for the first time and didn't know uh, you, didn't know a writing program, didn't know an MFA, and how... Uh, unique and special uh, Spalding's program is, although there are others who have modeled their program after Spalding's. But uh, I, I would imagine in the very beginning, uh, Cena had an idea of what she wanted to do, and you've been there carrying out um, that uh, that model, uh, if you will, that dream, that outline. Uh, so you said, uh, tell us about the residency. Tell us about the uh, uh, number one, tell us how students and faculty work together uh, in person when 
we're not in a pandemic. And then those long letters that go back and forth. Um, some of those things like that uh, to kind of give us a, uh, an MFA 101 uh, lesson. Well, there's a residency program, and that's the sort of program that I went to a long time ago. I moved away with my husband for two years and studied and um, and all. But the low residency program, I'm, I'm often telling applicants or uh, students who are uh, wanting, thinking about coming into the program is that it, it's convenient because you don't have to live your life. Um, but that's not really the main impulse for me. The main impulse is that it's, I think it's just the very best way to teach creative writing, particularly to adults. So because you come to a residency and that's one course, although there's lots of preparation before the, you actually arrive on campus or abroad, because we do go uh, to international sites um, as well. And so you come for about a week. And you move into our dormitory, which is the Brown Hotel, the historic uh, four-star hotel, which is wonderful. You don't have to stay in a dormitory and share a shower, with <laughs> but um, uh, which is a selling feature, I have to say, because most of our students are adults. But um, uh, so anyway, uh, it, you come here, you attend res- uh, workshop in your area. So we teach many areas. We teach fiction poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and uh, young adults. We have uh, writing for TV, screen, and stage as well. Uh, Creative nonfiction, I don't know if I said that. But, um, and so you go into that workshop and you have a very intense experience discussion almost every day in that workshop. And and, uh, your work is discussed as well as the work of other people. So many people will be familiar with that workshop setting. But then outside workshop, you have lots of lectures in your area. You have plenary lectures, you have community events, we have uh, readings, we have visiting authors. And so it's almost, it's like this very rich writing conference that you get graded on um, at the end. And then after residency is over, then you enter enter what we call the independent study. And that's when you study one-on-one with a mentor that's been paired up with uh, the writer in the writer's area, you exchange what we call packets, which are pretty thick um, packets of writing, uh, your creative writing of the student, and then some critical writing. And there's a conversation that goes back and forth. So when your mentor receives your packet, your mentor is responding to your work individually. And so it's a very uh, tailored kind of instruction that you're receiving. And there's a lot of back and forth. And these um, they're wonderful relationships. They're um, wonderfully enriching relationships that students make at the time of the independent study and generally most often keep for years and years and years. And we have had faculty members who have uh, collaborated with our grads on books um, uh, after they were graduated too. And so uh, it just makes for a, a really large literary community that's ongoing Students, uh, alums come back very often for homecoming that we have in the spring, and we have uh, alum, uh, many alum conferences in the fall, and so we just keep growing and growing. And so one of the exciting things I tell students, especially new students, when you step on campus for the first time within five minutes, your, your writer's network will include multitudes immediately because you're just part of this community of writers who are all interested in the same thing. So um, Karen, my colleague, the administrative director, one of the founders of the program always uh, says she's surprised when at graduation, she learns that people have families because (laughs) we're just so kind of in this wonderful capsule 
um, of residency when we're not talking about carpooling or doing laundry or what we're going to have for dinner. What we're talking about is writing and it's um, just a fabulous experience. And so uh, we know a lot of things about each other's writing, very intimate things about people's writing, but oftentimes we don't know that they're married or they have <laughs> children until they show up at residency. So that's kind of funny. Uh, the process of, um, of the mentor and, and the, uh, the student writer, uh, the writer, um, have you uh, put down the hammer on how they are to com- communicate? Because I know uh, some of the older writers uh, found it difficult to record or to, I, I, you know, for all I know, you might be using Zoom now since everybody's Zooming. Uh, some of the mentors used to write out in longhand their their criticisms um, or uh, computer, uh, but but some use longhand too. Uh, is is that is that the way they're communicating throughout the uh, the, the time that they're not on campus uh, during residency? Well, there's lots of different ways. It's just as in any university, you have professors who prefer to do one method of communication over another. So um, the thing that we're really sticklers about in terms of being leaders of the program is that we want to make sure that there's a fixed response. And so um, if you can imagine uh, being a writer and receiving um, a three to five single spaced uh, page letter uh, from a mentor that's just about your work and really going through very carefully and commenting and talking about potential influences and maybe directions you want to go or whatever. Um, that's, uh, you know, that's really kind of an exciting thing. We hear students talking about opening their packet responses from their mentor as, as kind of opening Christmas presents. And it's very exciting. And they look forward to it. But um, a lot of people record their responses and it has to be at least a half an hour I think some people, you know, now are doing some Zoom, but it needs to be recorded so the student can go back and visit it. I, I, um, it's to serve the student. You know, it's not just a sort of conversation that floats off in the air after you hang up the phone. That's that's not as useful. Have you found it difficult to be um, so involved at Spalding um, and to be uh, a full-time poet and, and writer uh, at the same time? Um, no, I haven't. It feeds me. It feeds my my teaching, my leading the program. It feeds my creative life. Um, and we're pretty privileged at Spalding. You know, Tori Myrna McClure, uh, who's our president at Spalding, is a graduate of our program, and so she, you know, she understands it. And it's the same for all disciplines. It's just that, um, you know. So I I generally take one writing day, and that's part of my work. You know, that's part of me being in the office. And so, um, you know, we have time off and we'll back off and go off and write and things like that. But no, I'm generally, I'm constantly inspired by my colleagues, whether they're students or alums or faculty. And I want you to mention one more thing before we uh, take a break. uh, And that is, um, I I don't think you mentioned the, the summer residencies are usually in uh, wonderful places uh, that, that, that are inviting in themselves. So tell us about the summer residencies. I have to say the the summer residency came because we got a little cocky in the beginning after the first seven years, we're like, Oh, we're, this is going really well. We need a challenge. And so we decided, what would we like to do? And of course we all kind of said at once, we'd love to travel. 
So uh, we created this this international residency. We travel in the summer and we go to a different place and um, at least once every five years. And so um, we're hoping um, through the the pandemic will subside enough to let us get back to Paris. This will be our third time in Paris. But if we don't make it back um, this year, we'll go next year. But we've gone to Rome. We went to uh, we've gone to Tuscany. Um, we've gone to we the last time we were abroad, we went to Santiago, Chile. We've been to Buenos Aires. We went to Kyoto one year. We didn't. Um, we almost weren't able to go because mudslides and earthquakes were happening about a week before. But apparently they're very used to that and they cleaned up very quickly. So uh, I don't mean to be facetious about that, but I was amazed. I thought, no, this will never happen. And then they were like, why? Come on. Um, let's see. We've gone to Edinburgh. When, that was one of my favorite residencies. I, I loved going to Scotland. Uh, we've gone to London. We've gone to Bath. We've gone, um, we went to Prague. We went to Berlin. So, um, yeah. Sounds nice. Yeah, we study the literature of the place um, when we're there. Um, And so oftentimes we'll uh, take, well, nearly everything that we do there is is based around some sort of literary figure or something like that. So we really kind of immerse ourselves in that culture. But it's a lot of touring history. I mean, you you see a lot of. We we do, but you know, we. our classrooms are in the place where we go. And so uh, one of my favorite memories I know I will always have is walking through the Luxembourg gardens on my way to class every day when we're, we're in Paris. So we hope to do that again. Or, you know, like walking through the Brown hotel lobby. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Kathleen is going to um, share some of her work uh, with us. Uh, and Kathleen, um, you know, uh, I hope I've, told you, and um, I certainly want everyone to know that I take uh, immense uh, pleasure every single week uh, that we do a podcast and take a break uh, that I say that uh, our underwriter is Spalding University in the in the School of Professional Writing, and we have a little message on every single podcast, which uh, hopefully will go into several counties surrounding Lexington, but across the world too. So it's worldwide that people are aware of Spalding University. So we're going to take a really short break, hear that spot, and then come back and talk with you some more. Spalding University's affordable, nationally distinguished low-residency MFA in writing offers excellent instruction in a compassionate, supportive community. Focus on your own area of concentration, explore across genres, and examine the interrelatedness of the arts. During one-on-one independent study, you'll write prolifically and receive expert feedback from your faculty mentor, developing the discipline to keep writing for life. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, and writing for TV, screen, and stage. Learn more at spalding.edu slash schoolofwriting or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. All right, we're back. And uh, we have as our guest uh, the chair of the uh, uh, Professional uh, School of Writing. And and you know what? It's a new title for me. So, Kathleen, uh, begging your pardon here just for a minute. Uh, The Creative School, the the School of Creative and Professional Writing uh, at Spalding University. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I I just know it is the uh, MFA program, but it's far more than that. And uh, that, 
it doesn't roll off the tongue just yet, but I promise I'll work on that. But uh, Kathleen, as I said, is the chair and uh, is doing some wonderful things, uh, some new things, uh, some uh, expanding programs at Spalding. But uh, as I mentioned just before the break, she's also a full-time poet uh, and uh, has done some marvelous work. Uh, won many awards, has been published uh, widely in a number of publications. And you have something new that you might want to share and just kind of uh, tell us a little bit about? I do. I do. Um, this is my latest writing obsession, and it's it's focused on poetry. It's um, I'm doing a series of essays that are kind of linked, and um, they talk about how poetry has been integral to my life, and, and particularly the poetry of John Keats, whom I've become kind of fanatical about uh, in my in my later years. And the reason uh, that he's picked my interest now instead of in my British survey classes when I should have been listening to them is because I found out several years ago that, um, that he could have lived in Louisville, which is where my home is. And uh, that's because his brother, George Keats, his younger brother, immigrated to Louisville with uh, after some bumps through um, different places in America and ended up staying in Louisville with his new wife, Georgiana. And so if Keats hadn't died at such a young age from tuberculosis, he was trying to, uh, he, he was planning to make a trip to America and who knows what could have happened. And some of the things that we have that we treasure the most in his letters um, were letters to George here that were delivered in Louisville. And then one more thing I'll say before I jump into this, um, he, I, I keep finding myself linked to him and very, you know, not very tight ways, perhaps, but George Keats founded a sort of a philosophical salon. Um, and that salon went on to be the foundation of what would later become uh, Louisville College and the University of Louisville, where I got my degree. So, so this is a, a piece that I've written. Thanks. This is a piece that I've written, and it was in the Appalachian Review um, Late last summer, I love this magazine that comes out of Berea. It's, I'm always honored to be in it. So it's called Keats in Your Time of Pandemic. You remember in Rome, you stood in front of the facsimile of a remarkably narrow sleigh bed, a suggestion of the actual bed in which Keats died from consumption when he was 25. What caught your attention were the ceiling carvings over the bed, and you studied them for a long while. Fascinated by the idea you were looking at one of the last things Keats had seen before dying. Each square held a carving, a relief of an articulated petaled blossom, a little dome in the center, a pattern repeated again and again, creating a grid. You felt its fine excess. You're a poet. That's what brought you to the Keats's bedside. Now quarantined at home, Isolation, your best weapon against the COVID-19 pandemic sweeping across America. You remember walking through the muggy, crowded streets in Rome toward the museum next to the Spanish steps. In your quarantine, you are exhausted by the rage you feel at the utter failure of your government. You want a plan. You want action. You want accountability. You don't want to keep coming back to Keats. You don't want to scuffle again with what the young genius called negative capability. But what he's written keeps surfacing as if it's your serenity prayer. God, give me the grace to live with uncertainties, mysteries, doubts, without any irritable reaching after fact and reason. He's calling for you to live fully within this liminal space, this place of half knowledge. You brought some students with you to the museum. 
They milled around the rooms, placing their palms on the glass display tables, leaning in to read archival yellowed manuscripts of letters and old books splayed open, revealing Keats's poems on their brittle pages. While you continued to study the carved ceiling, you've somehow known, always, even as a child, that harvest of pattern, the harvest of pattern is surprise, a gift bestowed by turning away from what's expected. You wonder, had Keats lived another year, what further would his mind have reaped? Would he have explained negative capability more fully? You wonder, if Americans live through this pandemic, who will we be on the other side? How many will be on the other side? What will we understand that we hadn't before? Very nice. Very nice. That's uh, Kathleen Driscoll, chair of the School of Creative and Professional Writing at Spalding University, sharing a, a piece that was uh, published um, uh, in Appalachian Review, uh, which comes out of Berea. Um, that, that's such a nice uh, reflective piece for me. I mean, it just, uh, and especially since you uh, told me about the connection, uh, your connection, your personal connection, possibly, <laughs> uh, that you have now. And, and uh, he could, uh, uh, we, we do a segment at Kentucky Humanities called Think History that airs on WEKU radio. And that could certainly be, I, I don't believe we've done one on um, John Keats's brother uh, being, so in, in um, involved in, in the Louisville scene, that, that's, that's a b- bit of history right there. You see, we're all interlocked, linked, aren't we? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm pretty interested in, in history. You know, I, I, uh, I live in this old house that was built before the Civil War, which was uh, a Lutheran church when it was first raised. And there's a graveyard right outside my bedroom window, which some people would find morbid, but I find endlessly fascinating and uh, next door to the dead my book of poems that university of kentucky was uh, so uh, sweet nice to bring out um, is all about living there and contemplating the gravestones and and you know who can know i don't know what happened to people you know or who was there but i i like contemplating them my favorite grave that's next to uh, my mailboxes um is uh, the most poignant grave. It still moves me. I've lived here, you know, 25 years, but um, it was little Alpha Beta Blankenbaker who was buried in 1854. She was an infant. So, you know, it's... Um, a, a question, uh, a curiosity. Who would read your work and give you feedback? Who would um, dare do that? <laughs> <laughs> Quite a few people. Um, well, my husband uh, and I went to get our MFAs in uh, Greensboro together, and he studied fiction and I studied poetry. And um, and so he's always my first reader, I think. Um, and my colleagues, Karen Mann, is a first reader for me. Um, yeah, so not really, I don't really workshop my st- I used to, I, I, I did for a long time with a, a group of really fabulous poets here that call, were called the Chartreuse Table. And, uh, mm. uh, but, you know, if you get busy, you have to start having kids and, you know. Yeah. Do you, uh, so you don't regularly, uh, I know in Louisville as, as well as in Lexington, there are a number of writing groups and, and uh, uh, poets who get together or fiction, nonfiction. Um, 
that that uh, look at each other's work and 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 make kind uh, comments uh, most for the most part. So you don't have that anymore. You used to, but but um... yeah, I don't. Um, you know, I, I went through years and years of it, and I just I I have a couple of trusted readers, and I don't really. Um, I don't really workshop too much anymore. I mean, I, I'm constantly exposed to new things because of steel work and all. So it's, it's not as if that I, I need to feed that from some other place, but, um, but yeah. So. Did you know of Amanda Gorman, uh, the, the wonderful young uh, United States poet who uh, for me, and this is going to be my question for me, made her debut at the, uh, at the inauguration. Uh, but for, um, Others, I'm sure, had known of her and her work, although she's very young. Before that, did, did, were you aware of her? I hadn't known of her. I um, I read a little bit leading up to the inauguration about her, and I was curious about her. And um, I heard an interview with her somewhere that was kind of fascinating, maybe on Morning Edition NPR or something. And um, her story is really interesting and, and fabulous, but uh, nothing really prepared me for um, her delivery of her poem, um, that day. So, and, and that's got to be, uh, good for poetry, good for literature. Yes. Yes. I think so. I mean, I, th- I think that, um, that's, those were exactly my thoughts. I mean, not to take anything, uh, away from her, but it's good for all of us, you know, when, uh, people start thinking of, of poetry and in, in the world and, and uh, I think it's a particularly kind of, it's, it's a rich genre. I think there are really exciting things happening in poetry right now and, and, uh, and also in creative nonfiction. And, and the things that are happening in creative nonfiction and in poetry, I feel them kind of uh, crossing each other, you know, lyric essays or prose poems, you know, which arguably could be the same thing, you know. So um, it's very exciting and collage writing and um you know, who, who knows? I mean, we'll, we'll, I'll be dead when they co- figure out what they're going to call this time we're living in and what <laughs> happened. But um, yeah, you know, experimentation, yeah. it feels as if we're doing things that are as important as uh, they were doing in the, during modernism to me mm. right now. So it's very exciting. Well, I'm, um, um, I'm excited and I'm glad that, that you are at the uh, helm of the school and, and doing such good work and, um, I, I think you would also uh, want to encourage anybody who is interested at all and uh, not applying necessarily, but visiting and learning more um, about the school and thinking about it. Um, it's it's a wonderful atmosphere and operation, and um, uh, I, I would hope that more people would uh, would want to flock to Spalding uh, for writing, no matter what professional. Um, nonprofit, uh, how to do this and that, but, but certainly if you're serious and as this young lady, um, uh, uh, is that's going through the program, she's a sailor, uh, of tall ships. That that's pretty amazing. She'll have a few things to write about, won't she? Yes, definitely. It's, it's really, uh, you know, our, our student population is gearing younger, but the average age is about 44. And so these are people who our students are people for the most part who have done what they were supposed to do. And they've gotten their kids through college. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the story and now it's their turn to do what they want to do. And so they've had, um, you know, the dream and then they've tried to write all their lives. I mean, it's just such a core 
language is such a core part of our humanity that um, it's not surprising that more people express themselves creatively creatively through that. So, um, you know, and there are all kinds of ways. I mean, we just, we would just want to make things available to people. We want to help people. So we, every once in a while, we'll have a, a community workshop where folks from, from the community can come in as non-credit students and just take a residency with us and study with someone like Silas House or Erin Keene, who's the, you know, editor-in-chief of salon.com. She's on our faculty and, a, and an alum of our program. And, um, you know, there are lots of ways to come in and just study a semester and see how you like it, or maybe you're working on one project. And, uh, and so, um, you know, that's why we've sort of spread our wings in terms of degrees and programming. It's our mission. Of course it is. And um, there's no one better uh, than the captain the mission than uh, oh, Kathleen thank Driscoll. You. Thank you very uh, much. Good to see you. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you for your support as our underwriter. We, uh, uh, just, uh, as I said, look forward to having a podcast on every week, uh, goes up every Wednesday with some really interesting people and uh, you're one of those and we'll, uh, we'll have this up uh, soon and, uh, want to thank you for, uh, everything that you've done and, uh, um, hope to see you soon in person without, uh, a zoom lens in front of us. That's right. That's right. Well, thanks for everything you do. I mean, your, your work there is feeding you know, all of us as well. And it's something that I I always look forward to, but we're very proud to be a sponsor. Thanks for everything you do. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.